0: Welcome again to the DOGS program here on 3CR 855 on the AM It's Good to have your company once more uh, with myself Robert, with Dale on the desk and of course Jean and her world famous press releases. Um, here at the DOGS we defend government schools. We are the defenders of government schools, D-O-G-S. We've been around for a few decades here on community radio because we need to be. Uh, government schools need defending and that's our self-appointed job. As soon as they don't need defending, we'll, um, we'll go off and do something else. And leave the airways free for some more music, perhaps, who knows. Or some book reviews, who knows. But until government schools are left alone by all the forces that are railed against them, um, we have to be here. Um, today, today, in Jean's famous press release, we're talking about private schools getting up the nose of local councils. Um, which has been happening for some time, but now it's starting to bubble over, because it's all getting around the silliness. Also, later in the program, we'll be talking about the Constitution of Australia. Yes, an invigorating topic, I'm sure, talking about the Constitution. We won't talk about all of it. It's quite large. We are going to talk about one section, though, section 116 of the Constitution, which is what we have in Australia, what we, what we have in Australia passes for a separation of religion and the state clause in our Constitution, which is written down and out in the late 70s and early 80s, um, in the dog's case, actually, yes, yes. We had a court case back in the day. I'm sure if you've been listening for, for a while, Jean would have told you about it. Um, but interestingly enough, it's coming to light um, with this whole sort of religious discrimination bill silliness. And there's a few figures that have come out from an ABC survey um, in an article by Annabel Crabb, which I'll be highlighting after Jean's told you all about the Constitution. After that, of course, um, we're going to be talking more about private schools today in Australia. And how, well, a couple of things are still true. One that's been highlighted, being, being born rich is actually more important than how hard you study at school in Australia. Never used to be the case, back two generations ago, but now it's just the way the world is, as they say. And I'll also be dealing with, I think, a quite interesting article in the Australian Financial Review, which relates to the financial aspects of private schooling at the moment here in Australia, which are becoming, as many people are discovering, prohibitive. Um, the Financial Review has done an analysis of exactly how much private school fees are affecting a working class and middle class and upper middle class and indeed wealthy Australians and it's all just getting a rather bit silly. So we're very wide ranging program and so without much further ado because it's a packed show I have to say today, um, we're going to kick off with Jean's press release. Press release number 800 and what is it 16. 816. Go
2: Jean. Taxation exemptions and private school rates. The direct subsidisation of private education in Australia from the coalition government is now running, this is just the coalition government direct grants, at approximately 181.6 billion of federal funding over the next 10 years, compared to that for public education of 128.8 billion funding. So if it's 181.6 billion for 10 years, that means, and please correct me if I'm wrong, 18.16 billion per annum in direct grants from the federal government alone. This doesn't take into account direct funding from state governments, which is 25% of what they give to a government school, but all these known figures represent the tip of a very slippery iceberg. They do not take into account, and we're talking about billions of dollars here, dear listeners, taxation exemptions, all from the point of view of the tax officers and citizens, what is known as taxation expenditures. These include non-payment of income tax, GST, capital gains tax, stamp duty, land tax, municipal rates, etc. You name it, there are exemptions from it for private schools. It's almost impossible to get these figures from the Federation or State Taxation Authorities. And public school supporters who are heartily sick of the largesse shown by the Coalition and State Governments to the private sector while public schools go begging are not the only restive groups, however, that have had enough. Municipal councils have had enough of rate exemptions. And like the dogs, councils have been keeping tabs on rates foregone. These exemptions are rates foregone, they are taxation foregone. They are expenditures since at least the 1970s. Now, how do I know this? Back in the day, in the 1970s, I decided to do some research on rate exemptions for private schools in New South Wales so that we could take an individual school like Knox Grammar, for example, or Scots College, and we could work out all of the figures, even back in the 60s and 70s, that these wealthy schools were receiving. So I wrote to every council in New South Wales and asked for the rates foregone of the private schools in their municipality. Now the interesting thing was that they gave me those figures. So I had the figures from the councils back in the 1970s. They said that's how I know personally the councils of New South Wales were keeping the figures on the rates foregone as early as then and it could have been even earlier back into the 19th century. Since councils are at the bottom of the taxation food chain with burdensome responsibilities in Victoria they have had more than enough and there is a push on for private schools to pay rates. On November the 5th, 2019, in the age, Jill Topsfield and Royce Miller informed us that in a submission to the State Government's rates review, the Municipal Association of Victoria, representing 79 councils, claimed that 12% of the City of Melbourne's rates base is exempt. Now, not all of that would be private schools, but they are a considerable uh, percentage. The submission argues that the rate system is not fair or equitable for all rate payers. Now, I realise that not all of our listeners are rate payers. They might be rentiers. But those rates have to come out of someone's pocket and they come out of the people, the tenants, Uh, when they have to pay rates to the landlord because the landlord's got to pay them. It calls for the abolition. The Council, the Municipal Association of Victoria, is calling for the abolition of rates exemptions received by organisations that no longer serve just the local community as they did in previous centuries, but compete in state, national and even international markets. And these include private schools, universities, power stations, solar and wind farms, mines, religious properties used for commercial purposes such as retirement villages, gaming venues on Crown land and crowned land used for commercial purposes, such as timber reserves and port land. Mum and dad homeowners and small businesses are paying their council rates, says the MAV president, Coral Ross, MAV being the Municipal Association of Victoria. Exempt private and commercial activities should also pay a fair and equitable share of rates, they say. Now, in this article, there were some even more interesting facts and figures. It's an interesting twist of fate that homeowners in the wealthy, leafy suburbs of East Melbourne are the hardest hit. The city of Borondara in Melbourne's eastern suburbs has 69 properties owned by private schools, according to the submission, and these properties are exempted from paying almost $1.4 million in general rates each year, and that's the equivalent of 0.94% of residential rates. The MAV says that private schools and universities have a long-standing exemption from paying rates and while this once could have been justified given how private schools and universities have evolved over time to the commercial institutions that they are today this rate exemption cannot be justified on fairness and equity grounds Interesting, isn't it? that the Municipal Association of Victoria regards private schools as commercial enterprises. It says that many private schools charge significant fees and lease their facilities to commercial operators such as swim schools. The private school lobby is responding as one might expect. But a panel chaired by the former city of Melbourne Chief Executive Cathy Alexander is overseeing this rates review and it will report to the local government minister, Adam Sommerrak in March 2020. So dogs will watch this space with interest. So that Robert is the private school uh, rates press release 816 for this week and if people want to read it, it will be on our website at www.adogs.info if, it's, if you don't find it immediately, I assure you it will be there.
0: Thank you very much Jane, in fact it will be there no questions at all. Um, yeah, thank you very much Jane for your press release. You listen to the Dogs Programme, we are the defenders of government schools and we'll be back with more after this
3: On Thursday 28th of November at 12pm, environment groups and communities from across Victoria will peacefully rally together at Parliament to call for urgent action for our natural world. After five years of the Andrews government, nature deserves more, especially in the face of climate change. Victorians need new and better funded national parks, stronger nature laws and better protection for our threatened forests, rivers, beaches, oceans and native plants and animals. We need real action for our natural places and wildlife now. Join in the Nature for Life rally. Bring a sign to highlight the natural places you love that deserve better protection. See you on Parliament Steps, Thursday, 28th of November at 12pm. Look for Nature for Life rally on Facebook and visit Victoria National Parks Association website vnpa.org.au forward slash rally. NPA is a 3CR supporter. The Campaign for International Cooperation and Disarmament invites you to join the celebration of 60 years of active campaigning on peace, nuclear disarmament and social justice. Great speakers will share their memories of CICD's many campaigns. And the Victorian Trade Union Choir will sing peace songs from the 50s and 60s. Enjoy an exhibition, food and drinks. The celebration will be held at the Unitarian Peace Memorial Church, 110 Gray Street in East Melbourne, Sunday the 10th of November from 2 till 5pm. CICD is a proud affiliate member of Community Radio Federation.
1: All
0: Outer Urban Projects and La Mama present The
4: Audition, a multi-authored work interrogating the protocols and power relationships of the audition process to uncover what it means to seek asylum.
0: Director Irini Vela has assembled an exceptional team of award-winning
4: writers including Christos Tsiolkes, Melissa Reeves, Patricia Cornelius Tess Visiotis, and Wahibi Musa, with Iranian associate artists Sara Davoudi and Milad Nourouzi performing alongside Mary Citarinos, Peter Paltos and musician Vahidi Essary The audition 13th to the
0: 24th of November bookings at lomana.com.au Outer Urban Projects a 3CR supporter Welcome back to the Dogs Program at 3CR 855 and AMDO. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Play at La Mama. And, um, it's nice to be part of a community um, here at 3CR. I mean, I know we go on about one thing and one thing only, which is important, actually. So we don't go on about it seven days a week, um, but we do go on about it for one hour on
2: one day. We wouldn't but, be able to without 3CR.
0: No, but there's more that goes on here than just us, and we'd certainly love to be able to recognise and support. Um, our fellow contributors here at Community Radio. Um, I promised you before the break we'd be talking about our constitution which is actually I think quite fascinating in fact section 116 Jean's got more.
2: Yes um, it has been of great interest to the dogs that with all the talk about religious discrimination and wanting to have legislation at the Commonwealth level uh, there has been absolutely no mention of the fact that there is in fact a Bill of Rights section of the Constitution, which gives people religious liberty. But nobody has been saying this, not even any of the academics or the uh, people who are pushing for religious liberty. Uh, Dogs are not surprised, because in fact in our case in 1981, religious liberty was read down and out of the Constitution. But the section is still there, and the second leg of this this uh, section 116 says that there is religious freedom, there is freedom of religious expression uh, and there is what is, the actual words are free exercise of religion, that is the second leg of a three-part uh, section. The first section says that the Commonwealth shall not make any law for establishing any religion, and the second leg says that the Commonwealth shall not make any law to prevent the free exercise of religion. Now, there is no actual free speech protection in the in the Constitution. And there was an article in the age of Monday, November the 4th, 2019, by Tony Walker, saying that in the light of what has happened in the last few weeks with um, the Federal Police raiding journalists and even the Murdoch Press coming out and saying there should be more freedom of speech and accountability and protection of journalists in Australia, Tony Walker has this to say, keeping the light shining. Two weeks into the Right to Know campaign, in which the Australian media has put aside differences in an attempt to break down the walls of Jericho around arguably the most secretive democracy in the Western world, one conclusion is clear, and his conclusion is that Australia needs a Charter of Rights. And we're reminded that back in the day, in 2008, the Kevin Rudd government had, as part of its 2020 agenda, uh, a rights document prepared by the National Human Rights Consultation Committee that they had uh, established in 2008. But um, he then goes on to point out that... In summary, the three core freedoms that are described in the document are the right to freedom of thought, conscience and belief, the right to manifest one's religious beliefs, and the right to freedom of expression. So he points out that leaving aside for the moment a right to freedom of expression, which we don't have in Australia at the moment, There are protections for religious observance and belief. And we've got them already in section 116 of the Constitution, but we don't have freedom of expression or speech. And I heaved a sigh of relief that at last somebody realised that section 116 was and is a Charter of Rights section of our Constitution, because in 1981, in our High Court case, Justice Murphy pointed out that the um, other judges on the High Court had treated it like a section of a contract and had read it down and out. They didn't understand what freedom of religion and thought really was. So I'm afraid that um, we do have religious freedom in Australia, but we don't have religious freedom in Australia. And we don't have religious freedom in Australia because the churches in 1979 and in 1981 insisted that they were not religious institutions because they wanted to keep all of those billions of dollars of state aid money for their schools that they are now receiving. So from the dog's point of view, you can have your cake or you can eat it. But the religious freedom clause has been eaten up by the private school's desire for dollars over freedom so uh, that's all I have to say on that but there is uh, current, uh, currently a lot of discussion about whether or not we have religious freedom in Australia and really how important religion is particularly to people who send their children to private schools anyway because as we've seen earlier the uh, councils regard them as commercial institutions
0: Thanks again, Jane. Now we'll just um, have
2: some more messages.
1: Hi, Carrie lee Harding here, and I want to invite you to the 2019 Beyond the Bars CD launch on Thursday the 14th of November, upstairs at Mesa on Gertrude Street in Fitzroy. This is a message that we send To the black, yellow and red I'm an Aborigine and i always There'll be a panel discussion on justice, Indigenous incarceration and the power of radio, along with music, food and, of course, free copies of this year's Beyond the Bars CD. Thursday, the 14th of November, upstairs at Mesa, 6.30 to 8.30. See you there.
3: had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. i
4: the proud product of a
3: government-funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school
1: education.
4: Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public school in the world.
2: It's not good enough that kids with disability miss out.
4: Our education is not for profit. Our education is not for
1: profit. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR.
0: Beyond the Bars. Thanks very much, Kerry Lee. Um, Yeah, you listen to the Dogs Program here on 3CR855 on the AM dial. Um, Jean's been talking about constitutional issues, about religious freedom. There's an interesting article that just came out um, on the ABC website just recently, written by probably one of my least favourite journalists slash opinion people, Annabel Crabb. But she's got something interesting to say. So sometimes strange people have interesting things to say, and she's a good writer, um, I suppose. But she's actually done an analysis of... What Australians really think today in 2019 about religion? Actually, my father would be interested in this. It would contradict a lot of things that have happened in the past in all sorts of ways. Because um, my father interested in sort of religious attitudes in history, um, and you might be interested too. Um, Australians firmly believe these days that religious people are subjected to discrimination in this country. At the same time, we'd rather the godly kept their views to themselves. 71% of Australians told the ABC Australia Talks National Survey that religious religious discrimination happens occasionally or often in this country. I I find that interesting. Um, When I say say religious discrimination, um, I think we have to broaden the concept of Christian religious discrimination to discrimination against people of other faiths. Absolutely. And if I were to ask someone to ask me that question, is there religious discrimination in this country? I would go. Yeah, yeah. But, ironically, this is the point on which the devout and the heathen are in agreement. Even among Australians with no religion, 68% agreed that there, were, there is discrimination of religion, as did 74% of Catholics, 72% of Protestants and 74% of other religions. Now, other religions, um, they've all been grouped. So you've got sort of other major religious groups, Hindus and Muslims and people of the Baha'i faith and Sikhs and all sorts of people. Um, They've all been grouped because you can't do any sort of statistical analysis on these groups because their numbers are actually so small in Australia. I mean, there's a great moral panic about being taken over by this's or that's's, this, but I think you'll find that less than 3% of Australians are Muslims, and so therefore you can't talk about them in general when dealing with surveys of this sort. And so they're all grouped together in an other religions group. But it's interesting, a broad majority of Australians, 60%, would prefer that people keep their religious views to themselves. This is a view held most strongly, as you might imagine, by non-religious respondents of whom 73% wished not to hear about religious views of other people, obviously. But even a slim majority of Catholics, 53%, agreed that it was better to keep religious matters as a private affair. Um, Protestants, however, were more inclined to support full disclosure. Only 39% of Protestants felt religious views should be kept private. And people from other faiths were divided on the question and just shy of a majority, that is. 47% agreed that religion should be a hush-hush affair. So if you're wondering why all the religious respondents besides Catholics and Protestants are grouped together, as I said, um, according to the 2016 census, 2.6, I'd say under 3, 2.6% of Australians follow Islam, 2.4% are Buddhist, 1.9% are Hindu and 0.4% are Jewish. Um, Catholicism, by the way, just if you're interested, is the leading single religious group claiming 23% of the population while 13% identify as Anglican and 60%, 16% as other Christian It's interesting in Australia and I think for me it's fascinating that Australia is not a country in which religious belief is the dominant determinant of identity social status or indeed even social activity When given a list of eight attributes and asked which is the most central to the respondent's sense of self and identity, Australians placed religion stone-cold motherless last. Respondents were more likely to identify themselves through their politics, their gender, their ethnicity or their sexual orientation. They were to identify themselves as a Protestant or a Catholic, which is actually only rated... Um, 4.7 out of 10 as an important sort of determinant, as opposed, for instance, to um, uh, politics, which was 6.4. I am a liberal. I am a Labour person. I am a Green. And so this gets to the point, I suppose, where you look at the practical implications of what not to talk about at a middle-class dinner party. Intermingling between religious groups is commonplace in Australia. 84% 84% of respondents said they mix socially with people of different beliefs to themselves, which means that 16% didn't, which I find interesting. But there are some subjects probably best avoided, such as ecclesiastical mixed gatherings. Um, climate change, for one, and I think this is fascinating, and I've puzzled over this for many years. 80% of people with no religion think climate change is a problem for them whereas only 63% of Protestants think it is. Gender roles, for another. 35% of Protestants believe that Australia would be better off if more women stayed at home to look after children, while only 14% of the godless were also of this view. I wonder who they are. Um, I suppose it gets to the point where, overall, Australians are not looking for more religion. Only 15% of respondents thought this country would be better off if more people were religious. Now that includes religious people. One of the, well, one of the survey's most striking findings is the poor esteem in which religious leaders are held. Now this I do not find surprising in Australia in our current climate. When asked who they trusted, Australians opted for doctors and nurses and scientists ahead of their, ahead of their preachers and ministers and priests. Religious leaders were distrusted by a full 70% of the population, with 35% of the population saying they didn't trust them at all. Even within their own flocks, religious leaders were viewed with suspicion. Protestants were the most obedient among the faithful, 58% of them trusted their religious leadership, but only 47% of Catholics had that same level of faith, while other religions came in just under 50%. It seems trust in religious leaders must be, a th- or maybe indeed, be a thing of the past. Nearly half of those aged 75 felt it, but only 23% of those aged 25 to 29. A generational thing. Now, I think that's just, it gives a backdrop to the discussion about religious discrimination because we as a country are saying, yeah, that's great, fine, yes, you get religious just, discrimination, just shut up, we don't want to hear about it.
2: And why are we particularly interested in it here, Robert? We are interested in it because so many of the private schools say that they are religious and they discriminate on the basis of religious grounds and they say that they should be able to select children because of the values and the background and the ability to pay of their parents. Whatever happened back in the day in the... Um, in the Dogs High Court case, they still claim to be religious and they claim to, that they should have the privilege of discriminating on religious grounds.
0: Well, I think it's interesting because you, if you have an education system it segregates children on the basis of religion. And at a certain point when they grow up, they choose to mix. But 16% of Australians do not socially interact with anyone outside of their religious beliefs.
2: That's a real worry.
0: 84% do, but 16% don't. Now, I don't know what the... Of course, we don't know what the stats were a generation or two ago, but the idea of not talking to someone because of their religion is a true thing for 16% of our population, and that has to start when they're children. That has to start. So um, yeah, I'm 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 playing with figures, I'm playing with ideas, but for me that's that's a disturbing thing. And that's that's one of those in other uncivilized places people segregate themselves off into groups and don't and don't intercommunicate. They don't they don't discuss things, you know, they don't marry across religious lines or anything like that. But here in Australia, sixteen percent, most definitely. That's what they say. Um, I find that fascinating, and I think it actually ties into what Jean was talking about in terms of constitutional issues of religious freedom. Certainly, people have the freedom to not associate with anyone outside. They have have the freedom to discriminate. And personally, I support that. I think that's a fine thing. I just don't want to pay for it. I don't want to pay for that privilege. I don't want to set up the buildings in which they gather so that they can keep others out. I don't want them to set up the playgrounds where children in wheelchairs aren't allowed. I don't want them to do that, but if they do choose to, and that is their sincere religious belief um, and then if they do want to do that, that's fine I suppose, but um, I'm not going to pay for it, it's not my business we'll be back with more after this Again to the dogs program. Oh my heart. Yes, oh my heart. We've been talking about highfalutin ideas and constitutional issues and high court cases and, and people not associating with each other because they don't like each other's religions and all that sort of stuff. I'd like to talk actually about some tin tax now. Like we've, we've gone from the ideas, I think, enough now. I think we've done enough of that. So let's just talk about money. Let's talk about the fee fee increases for non-government schools in Australia are running at nearly twice the rate of inflation and have been for years in Australia. They've outpaced wage growth by even more because wage growth is less than inflation.
2: All these billions that we're giving them were supposed to bring these fees down.
0: And they're going up at twice the rate of inflation and more than twice the rate of wage growth. Adding to cost stresses felt by 1.3 million families who pay for private education. There's a group um, who prey upon the insecurities of the privately educated or the privately educating parents and the group's called Edstart. Edstart lends money to people. It lends money to people for education. It lends money to people for private school fees.
1: That's
0: right, And it, its business is booming. Um, twice the rate of inflation... At the moment, it's doing very well. Various parents are in all sorts of troubles, and of course there's nothing more interesting than hearing the, um, the troubles of a private school educating parent um, who's telling us how terrible the world is. Um, Melissa Ellis um, has um, a number of children, and she says her husband has to work six days a week, and she works from home, and she's reselling on eBay to help with the fees. Um, yes. Um, a survey indeed, and this, this, this data, by the way, comes from a survey of 1,600 families by the company across the nation showing that private school fees consumed, and get this, 35% of family income net. And in South Australia and Victoria, the figure was actually closer to 40% of the family's income.
2: And how much Some is the parents. going in mortgages, I wonder?
0: Um, well, quite a substantial amount, I would assume. Some parents are feeling the pressure more than others. Fees at Macquarie Grammar School, a small co-educational school in central Sydney, have risen 8 point, or 10.8% in one year. Wow. Wow. Erasmus College in Melbourne, eastern suburbs, increased fees by 6.9%. And fees at Stratholme College in Brisbane's west went up over 6%, well above inflation. Wow. But the increases are not restricted to top-tier private schools in wealthy suburbs. Um, as I mentioned before, Melissa Atlas, who I was talking about before, um, yes, she says she helps with the fees. But she says it's not just the fees, she says. It's all the extras. Mm-hmm. Camps are between $400 and $700. There's a couple that come right before Christmas. I had a $1,000 bill before Christmas, and I was still trying to catch up by April. So, yeah, you know, she's talking about real problems in terms of her life and her family structures.
2: I feel sorry for the children if the parents are not able to afford this. This means that they can't keep up appearances with their wealthy friends at school. I feel very sorry for these children.
0: Yes, indeed. So, um, the family initially um, had all their children in a top-tier Anglican school in Canberra, but they struggled with the price increases there. So, they switched to the ACT Catholic school system. Partly to cope with the fee pressure, but inflation-driven increases have now made that as expensive as the Anglicans were in the first place. Moreover, as the children grew older, the base fee started to rise, and this is the trick. The annual fees for one of her children started at $1,500 when they were younger, and now they're $8,500. She says, we live week to week. There is not much to spare money for anything. As parents, you don't buy yourself much. In New South Wales, where fees went up by, on average, 3.7% this year, among the highest increases in the country. And private schools blamed energy costs. Their power bill went up, apparently, and that was by such a large amount that they had to increase the fees to parents by 3.7%. Um, I'm going to call bullshit on that one. Yeah, I really am Um, So, I mean, just it's fascinating things going on here Um, So, for instance, if you want to send your child to the Orana Steiner School in the ACT um, You'll you'll, you'll be coughing up $12,000 this year Which is 6.35% more than last year If you want to send your child to Macquarie Grammar School in Sydney You've got to cough up $20,000 Which is a 10% increase on the fees from last year
2: you need a three-person working family here, yeah. or perhaps a few grandparents in, a, in the mix as well. Wealthy grandparents, mm. of course. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, the Chief Executive of the Association of Independent Schools in New South Wales, Geoff Newcombe, said electricity bills had risen 11% a year for the past 10 years. He says schools have higher utility costs than most people realise. Energy use rises each year with enrolment growth, technology use and air conditioning... Oh. So they get more kids paying in more fees and so therefore they have to put the fees up because they don't have enough fees to pay for the power bill because the power bill's gone up because they've got more kids and they've got more fees.
4: They've got more data input or Oh, I just, <laughs>
0: I'm sorry. Um, and air conditioning. Yeah, air conditioning is, 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 is terrible.
4: It's cynical,
1: isn't it?
0: Osgrid you know, has required many schools to install electrical substations due to their higher energy uses, and this, has, this can cost up to four hundred thousand dollars. Oh well, don't grow. So no, we're not taking any more people. You know, just solve, solve your problems. You're in business. Hmm. He said, "Oh, salaries for school staff went up at least two point five percent in New South Wales independent schools, and they were servicing capital works valued close to one point two billion. Ah, servicing? That's debt." They've got themselves into debt and they're paying interest and so therefore parents have to pay. It's not their debt, is it? But Ooh, I think no. the taxpayers
2: pay some of the
0: interest Almost oh, certainly they do. While official interest may now be at record lows, many schools have loans with fixed rates from many years ago. Oh dear. I'll go bankrupt. We'll buy it out and turn it to a state school. Also, planning costs are going up. They say all new schools are now considered state-significant development and must be assessed by the New South Wales Planning and Infrastructure Department, which requires more extensive and costly expert planning. Oh, diddles, hallelujah. I'm sorry. This is the cost of doing business, and these schools are just passing it straight on to the parents and, indeed, to the taxpayer.
2: They're commercial institutions, Robert.
0: But, of course, now we have the inevitable consequence, which is the fact that people aren't sending their kids to private schools anymore. Miss Ellis, congratulations. You've sent your side to an Anglican school for a lot of money and then a Catholic school for a lot of money. There's a state school around the corner. You can solve your problem. Um, If you don't want to solve your problem in that way, um, think about why exactly you can't solve your problem that way, I I would suggest, would be one Mm -hmm. one of the things you could do. As I often say, and I'll say it again, When people ask me for advice on where to send my child to school, I say, find the most expensive school you can send your child to. Work out how much that costs. Sacrifice, as we do at the moment, with all the love that you can, and then send them to the local state school. Put that in the bank and you'll have half a million in about 12 years. (laughs) Buy them a house.
1: Mm.
0: Buy them a course. Um, They can do medicine at Melbourne University fees up front because that's how much you love them.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: But what's happened of course is that what the, the people are taking my advice people are, Australians are turning their back on private schools as fees triple o, over the time Other educational answers are the costs have gone up at a similar level in the public sector But the rise in the independent sector was more visible because it was embedded in the fees which of course are published So I'm looking at a graph here and there's one line which is the amount of money it takes to run a state school And then there's another line, which is the amount of money that is charged by independent schools. And these lines are different. The one from the independent schools is much steeper, and it's been going up, well, it goes up by the month, shall we say. It goes up by the month, let alone by the year. Um, And these lines are different. Um, The fees are going up more than they need to, because, and they should just say this outright, because private schools aren't competing in their own minds with state schools, they're competing with a private school down the road. Privatis- they've got to have a bigger, better, sexier gym and swimming pool than the other, and so therefore they can charge more fees because they've got the sexy stuff. So therefore, it's this, it's this arms race between the schools themselves and people are sick of it. Nothing to do with a good education.
2: Privatisation has failed badly and it's uneconomic and it's inefficient. They found this out in the 19th century and we're finding it out again in spades in the 21st century. But let's have something a little bit positive, Robert. Let's get back to what state schools can really do and how good they really are.
0: Indeed. In fact, I think we should do that right now because it's time for Our Great State School. Every week on The Doctor Program, we have a special segment... To show a different state school
1: is a great school. State schools are great.
0: Schools. School of the week. State school. School great of the school. week. Great state schools. State, state schools. schools school
4: are of great the week. Schools.
0: School for the week here on the Dogs Program. Our great state school of the week this week is a little tiny school at the edge of the planet. You know, if you're if you're a flat earther, it's definitely it. Um, if you're someone who believes it's a globe, it's, the, it's one of those schools next to Antarctica, and it's got a strange name. It's called Baghdad. You know, the capital of Iraq. Well, it's not. It's a little town in um in in the Midlands of Tasmania. Because back in the day, talking about religious freedoms and religious people, people walked around the walked around Tasmania naming things after after the Promised Land. So Baghdad's not actually far from the walls of Jerusalem. Um, if you're a Tasmanian, you'll you, you get the joke. But Baghdad Primary School is actually an interesting place. It's a rural school 35 kilometres of, north of Hobart. Student population is about 150, and it's remained fairly stable over the years. And this is due in part to... There have been lots of new people moving into the area, but they want their children educated in a relatively small school. Not a big one. The majority of kids at the Baghdad Primary, and it's is a great little school, travel to and from the school by bus, because it's in the country. There are six classes in the school of 150 kids, and they're all composite. So, you know, they've got the grade two kids in with the grade three kids, and they've got the grade four kids in with the grade five kids and They mix them all up. There's 13 teachers there, and they have a music program, and they have a phys ed program as well, which is great. The staff also include two office staff, five teacher assistants, and two ancillary staff. So they're well supported within that context. Now, the school actually in itself has decided for itself to actually support families by providing a welcoming and supportive school environment to all the parents. That's the way they're going to go about educating the kids. Yeah, the kids are bust in, but yeah, the parents can come too, and the parents can spend time in the school because, in fact, they have a very strong emphasis on the fact that this is where we live in the country here in central Tasmania, and we're going to work together to do the best for the kids. Which I think is funny. The school encourages really active parental participation in children's learning through such areas as the school association, as well as the canteen, as well as they have the parents in the classrooms. What? What? Parents in classrooms, you can't have that because then teachers are held accountable by the, oh. <laughs> no, that's fine. This is a state school. This, this is a state. You can do that. That's no worries school, through this process, provides a comprehensive learning program that addresses the components of the curriculum, you know, what it is the kids learn. There's a strong emphasis on reading and writing for each student, which is achieved through a dedicated literacy and numeracy teaching time each day and through other areas of the curriculum as well. So, there you go, Baghdad Primary School. It's a fascinating little place. Hey, Who are the kids? It's got a total school XI value of nine two two. What does that mean? Wow, yeah. 58% of the kids come from the lowest quartile mm. of kids in, 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 in the country. 32% from the, come from the middle lowest quartile. 7% are upper middle class. And there's actually a couple of kids in there, three of them, that come from wealthy families. So three kids from wealthy families. Everyone else is middle class. The vast majority of the kids, that is to say 91%, come from... The poorest families in the country. That's okay because they've got 12 teaching staff that know what they're doing. <laughs> also, 9% of the kids in the school are indigenous. Mm. In in the Tasmanian context, that's actually that's a very very large number. Mm. 9% of the kids, so you know, one in ten kids come from an indigenous background, and there's a lot a lot of poor kids. So how are they doing? How are they doing? Well. These kids here, well, we can look at their NAPLAN results and we see that in Grade 3, they're, oh, they're kicking goals. By the time we get to Grade 5, not so much. Not so much. But certainly in, in Year 3, they by, by Year 5, I should say, they're not so much. But they're working on it and they actually have the grammar and pronunciation shortened to grammar within, within the school. So what they do is they spend a great deal of time working on it um, because they have to. So... A flat school is a school that takes the kids that it takes because it is where it is and because everyone else is there and they send themselves to school. They get them through the door and they do what they can with them and what they can do here is obviously very good. In terms of their reading, they're absolutely fine. In terms of their counting and all that sort of stuff, they're absolutely fine. In terms of their spelling, they're fine. They're going where they're fine. But writing is a problem in grade five and um, I've done some research on this school and they have now introduced a special, specialised writing programme for the two upper grades, that's the, the two classes of five and sixes You identify it, you sort it out, you solve it I think it's absolutely fascinating and you can do that, you can definitely do that in the process of being a small school So it's a small school, most of the kids there come from underprivileged backgrounds Of one form or another, so you'd expect them to be spending a great deal of money so certainly, if this was a private institution, a privatised institution, they'd be screaming bloomers, saying, oh, we can't do anything with these kids, they're just all too poor, we need extra funding for everything. Yeah, 13000 per kid, per year. Smack back on the median for what's required to give uh, an average Australian student, that is to say, in terms of income, because I'm going to say it again, how much money you earn determines... How much or how well you do at school more than anything else? Unless you live in Baghdad. Unless you go to a great state school. So the school itself is, is I think, quite an extraordinary exercise in understanding what a local school is. They've taken a pathway, which again proves that state schools are not homogenous. They don't all have to do what everyone tells them. Out there in Baghdad, just north of Hobart, in a very poor area, they are taking the kids and the way they're solving the problem is say, so, right, mum, dad, yep, yeah, you can come and help in the class. Mum, dad, we've got to get that canteen going because we'll make sure they have lunches and breakfasts and all that sort of stuff. Mum, dad, yeah, we need help with the buses and all that sort of stuff. Can you give us a hand? Mum, so they've, they're engaging the parents in a really active way to get that sort of community support. And it's interesting, I think, because that part of Hobart has been growing quite rapidly. And there's a lot of other primary schools around the place, state and state and private, and the state ones are brilliant, of course. Um, but some people say, no, no, I want to send my child to a school where everybody in the school, from the principal to the cleaner, knows their name. I want to send my child to a, a country school, and there's one over there. And if I'm going to bus him in, I'm going to do that. And if, and if the price is I have to spend time there with the, kid. do you know what? That's the solution. That is a genuine solution to the problem. It's so, not a great state school. Great state school for the DOGS program this this week is Baghdad Primary School from Baghdad, Tasmania. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent, or if you're a kid, or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever, and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State
4: College. schools are great.
2: Harkaway Primary
0: School. school.
4: Sunshine school. North primary school. primary school. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Got,
0: like You put on plays, you got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking
4: Actually, thing? an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More
0: than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia.
4: Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's who, that's who we welcome into the school.
2: outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the
4: weekly assemblies to... and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a, a value of the week each week, and so it's not just words, it is actually... So, so
0: what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn it into a classroom.
4: It's a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning.
0: But state schools are great schools.
2: Great state schools. Oh,
0: what a program we've had today. We've had Jeans, excellent, famous press releases, but then we talked about constitutional issues, and then we talked about money, and in the middle we've talked about exactly what it is that Australians feel about religion in a context where... The government funds religion to the tune of billions of dollars in this country every year. I don't want to talk about it. Mm. I actually don't want to talk about your religion. Mm. Um, I don't want you to talk about mine. Mm. Um, you know, whether, whether, whether I'm just an observer, which is my word for a, an atheist, I, mean, I, I, I reject that term. Mm-hmm. I'm someone who observes the world. And there are people who observe the world and they have a theistic approach to it. And then there's people who observe the world and have a theistic approach to it, and and they describe themselves as being religious. And all of those things have a place in our country. I really do think so. But none of those things have a right to government taxpayer subsidies. They are personal things. And they shouldn't be funded by me, or you? You shouldn't be sitting paying money for me to wax lyrical about how much I believe this or believe that. And neither should I pay for you. And and, and you're quite firm right to do so. You can get up on any soapbox you like in the country and I'll come and listen to you. But I ain't going to pay for the soapbox, <laughs> if that's all right with you. And those ideas are big ideas and they're useful ideas and they're thoughtful ideas and they're at the core indeed of what we do here at the Dogs Programme, which is why so often we end up talking about religion. It's because of that intertwining. Mm. And then, of course, we do what we normally do, which give you financial advice, <laughs> which is a strange and unusual thing to do on an education programme. But when I hear the terrible and sad tales of aspirational middle class people sort of, you know, remortgaging their houses and having to sell things on eBay just, just to pay, just to pay the school fees of the ever increasing school fees, I go, well, here, over here, look at the shining light, the golden path. It's called the state school system where you don't have to pay those fees. And do you know what? It's probably better than what you're getting now. Mm. If you were just willing to admit it. But it's always one of those things, isn't it? Anyway, up until next week, we're going to go away and we're going to come back again because state schools will need defending into the future, unfortunately. But until then, you can catch us at our website, www.adogstudioinfo or indeed at the 3CR website, 3 But we'll be back again next week because we need to be. So it's bye for now.
1: I'm standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge. Says Joe, but I'm dead. Says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe. They shot you, Joe, says I.